bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN today. We got a uh, full show. We've got a full day of content here on KLWN. After the show today, High School Sports Weekly, Lawrence High, 6 o'clock at Burgers by Biggs. Come on out, and uh, maybe I'll buy you a scoop of ice cream if you come on out and say hi as part of the show. That's right. I'll do that. Will, will you give out hugs? No, I will not give out what's hugs. Your, what's your deal with hugs? I Hey, I... Not a hug at all? No, I, I like hugs. Uh, hugs are great, but like also we're still... I know. Oh, okay, well, I guess that's fair. I, I mean, I, I don't think people want it's, it's to Alex, be like randomly like, hugging people that they don't like personally know we're right getting now. To, we're getting to flu season. Yeah, obviously still, you know, I, I and understand. COVID is still a thing. Yeah, I, I understand. Okay. So I, I don't want to give out hugs, but um, yeah, maybe I'll buy a scoop of ice cream if you what come about out. Like, what about like fist bumps? Yeah, I'll do a fist bump. Okay, like an elbow bump too. You know, yeah, yeah. something there like that. Go. There you go. Um, then after High School Sports Weekly, Nick is going to be on the call with Joel for the uh, Free State football game. They're going to be on the road against Aletha East looking to get their first dub of the season. So you can hear all that on KLWN. And then, of course, the Chiefs play tonight. So we'll break that down. Josh Briscoe is going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we're also going to be joined to, uh, I guess, kind of go behind enemy lines. We're going to talk with Jeremy Branham, who is the sideline analyst for the Houston radio broadcast. We're going to be joined by him at 345 here. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means being betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer, bet just $5 on anything, and get $200 in free bets instantly. There's a couple of interesting same-game parlays on DraftKings right now. Tell me what you think about this one. I, I haven't pulled the trigger, but I'm tempted. Uh, Justin Herbert, 15-plus rushing yards. Okay. Justin Herbert, 35-plus passing attempts. Patrick Mahomes, 15-plus rushing yards and 35-plus passing attempts. If all those happen, you're getting plus 360 odds. I don't know that both of those quarterbacks are going to attempt 35 passes. That's a lot of passes. That's a lot of, like, that's a lot of passes. Like One of them could definitely do it, but both... I mean, you're you're banking on them just slinging it all over the yard all game long. Mm-hmm. And both and both teams have you know pretty solid running backs. I mean, the the, the Chargers have Austin Eckler. I know they they throw it to him a lot, but obviously still they could run it with him as well. So last year, obviously the game went to overtime, so that's going to increase some of the numbers for the Chiefs. They started with the ball. The Chargers never had it in overtime, so it wouldn't actually increase theirs. But last year in the meeting in L.A., Justin Herbert had 38 pass attempts. So you would have been good on the over there. Patrick Mahomes had 47 pass attempts. I don't know what it was pre-overtime, but it certainly would have been. He didn't attempt 13 passes in overtime. Probably not. So he would have been over there. Uh, Mahomes, well, I do not remember that. He led the Chiefs in rushing yards in that game (laughs) with 32 of them. Actually tied for the lead in that one. So you would have been good there. And Herbert had 16 rushing yards. You would have been good there. That's cutting it close. Now if we go back to the first meeting last year, too, in Arrowhead. 
Herbert had 38 passes, so you would have been good. Mahomes had 44. Mahomes also had 45 rushing yards. Herbert had 16 again. Wow. So you would have been good on, on this bet the last two times it played. Okay, that's I think I've just convinced myself. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Um, how about this one, too? Chiefs to win. Chiefs have two or more sacks. Mahomes, three-plus passing touchdowns. Chiefs over 34.5 points. That play, pays off plus 550. I think what makes me nervous on this one is the two-plus sacks situation. Mm. Justin Herbert can scramble. He's really athletic, can make plays on the run, and... I, I don't know. I, I mean, don't love the 34 and a half points either. Like, this could be a 31 to 28 game. Like, yeah. I'm not saying the Chiefs can't get there. I think they definitely can. Well if, well, if you're betting on Mahomes to have three plus passing touchdowns. That's true. And then that's already 21 points right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so that's I, how I look at bets sometimes. It's like, if I'm already betting on this, then, like, why not? Why can't that happen? Well, I, I think then I, I just then I just lose twice. I like that first one, but here's what I like the most tonight on DraftKings. Jarek McKinnon, over 36 and a half rushing plus receiving yards. He had 49 in week one, didn't really play at the end of that game, so he would have hit the over. And if you look at his last five games, including the postseason, he would have crossed that 36 and a half yard mark in a lot of them very easily in the last five games. So those are my favorite bets for tonight. You can go to DraftKings, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. So KU 2-0 at the moment. We've talked a lot about how this makes them feel more like a, at the very least, they're a bowl contender. And and what that means is pretty vague. You could win four games and be a bowl contender. I think right now it's put Kansas on alert with the win at West Virginia. They could be a bowl contender. But as far as buying into the bowl hype of could this team be a team that goes bowling, are you there after the West Virginia win? Well, if you remember right, Derek, I actually picked Kansas to go bowling. In you the did. Season. I picked them to win six games. So you have them at seven now. So yeah, I guess seven because I actually I did not pick them to beat West Virginia, mm-hmm. and I picked them to win six games still. So the West Virginia game wasn't even more of a bonus for me, and and yeah, the path is definitely there. I mean, I think we've talked about it a number of times, but the che- the excuse me, Kansas KU their schedule early in the year. I'm on the Chiefs. Still. I know, right? I'm on the Chiefs. Anyways, KU their schedule early in the year is is front loaded with what we would call winnable games. So for KU to get off to the hard st- hot start that they have, really only kind of further drives home that possibility of if KU was going to play their best football in the season. Looking at their schedule, you would want that football to be played in the first six weeks of the season because those are where the six most winnable games are for KU for the most part. Right? They've already got two of them under their belt. The Houston game is suddenly looking much more winnable. So the path here for for KU, I think the most realistic path is five and one, five and one in these first six games. I guess technically six and zero oh would be the you know the path because then obviously they're already, I mean you they're are already, bowl eligible, they're already yeah. eligible at that point. But I feel like they probably are going to drop one, maybe maybe it could be Houston this week. But these next four games, Houston, Duke at home, which suddenly Duke that game looks a, a bit more intriguing. Because Duke turns out maybe doesn't suck as much as we thought they might, <laughs> so so that that's interesting. Um, I think it's most KU fans would agree that it's still KU should win. Now the real question here, Derek, is would KU be favored in that game? Duke is going to be three and zero. They're about they're going to play North Carolina A and T this week. Kansas is playing at Houston. If Kansas loses to Houston by less than ten or outright beats them, what does that look like? Well, I think if they outright beat them, are they favored? Even I I, I think. 
they'd for sure be favored in that situation. I, I think if they outright beat them, I don't know. Could Kansas even, this sounds weird, be a double-digit favorite over another Power 5 opponent? I, I don't think so. I mean, if they beat Houston, they're 3-0. Team that was just ranked. Duke, Duke's about ago. to be 3-0. Yeah, but they won't have the same cachet with it. I mean, they've beat, they beat Northwestern and they beat... I don't remember who their first game was. I'll say this, though. Um, so I'm on Action Network right now, which has like a, a college football power ratings. And basically what it is, it's not necessarily them giving their opinion on, you know, what this is or what that is. But it's basically a, a lot of different people who run betting sites or run their own models and stuff. They have basically power ratings that, you know, take a page of kind of like your your metric systems, Ken Palms, ESPN, SP Pluses, things like that, to basically figure out, what the projected line would be in a given game. And if you base it on that, the power rating says it would basically be a pick em on a neutral field. I mean, they're literally ranked right next to each other with the same, like, rating. Okay. So if you give Kansas, the, they, they typically say, like, a home field is worth around three points. I don't know if it's different, like, if you're a better home field, if it's four points, and if you're a team that you don't know yeah, I mean, what... If you're if you're Ohio State or Michigan... Right, like, is that get, worth four? <laughs> or is point. a team that maybe won't fill up the stands, is that worth two? I don't know, but let's just say it's three. So at that point, we're starting with this. As of right now, let's assume the KU-Duke line is KU minus three. If you beat Houston... Obviously, Duke, you're assuming they win as well, but the Houston win has more ring to it than what Duke would do this week. Yep. Maybe the double digits is a little too much. At that point, I think I would probably say KU around like minus six or seven. That would be very interesting. If you keep it close, I think minus three or four. Okay. So you think, you think assuming KU does not just get blown out by Houston, they're going to be favored no matter what? Um. Yeah, assuming not a blowout, because even if you lose by 14 or 17, yeah, there's a world where KU is, is a one or two point favorites, where it okay. essentially is a pick 'em, but they're okay. still kind of favored. Do you agree? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's for me, it's just hard to wrap my head around that possibility because it's just something that has never happened. No, you know what I mean. Like it's it's almost hard to grasp it just because it seems so out of this world for it to be a possibility. But you're absolutely. I mean, I think you're legitimately right. In if that they get assessment. blown out, I could see Duke being favored. Yeah. Yeah, well, and obviously Duke, they played Temple. Temple was their other team, so they, they yeah. shut out Temple. Who's also not very good. Then they were beating the brakes off Northwestern, but then mm-hmm. Northwestern came back and made it a much closer game. They're playing North Carolina A&T this week, so you figure they're going to be 3-0, probably with another fairly dominant win against an FCS opponent. So who knows at that point. But anyways, back to the discussion. So you got Duke at home. That's followed by Iowa State and TCU. Iowa State just barely beat Iowa, and I think we both agree that they are a bottom half of the Big 12 team, which, if you look at it from that perspective, means it should be a very winnable game at home for KU. Mm-hmm. And you Homecoming. Got T- yep. Yeah. And you got TCU at home again, and TCU has questions at quarterback. Their defense was horrible last year. They seem like they might be a little better this year, but they haven't really played anybody quite yet either. So there's certainly some questions with TCU, and TCU historically is a team that KU plays very well against, right? Mm-hmm. So you have that game. So, again, the path here would be, I think the best-case scenario, I guess, would be KU maybe loses a close game against Houston and then wins their next three home games, Duke, Iowa State, TCU. Then you're 5-1, and one, right? So, if we're operating on the assumption that we're 5-1, and one, this is where you run into bad news. The bad news is your next three games are <laughs> Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, two of them on the road. Oklahoma is still Oklahoma. They're going to be a good team. They're going to score a lot of Almost points. Almost beat them last year. Almost beat them last no year. No more Caleb Williams. Almost beat them last year. No more Maybe Lincoln Riley. their defense is a little more susceptible, but they have Brent Venables, so you figure their defense is going to be a little better. So, eh, maybe. Then you're at Baylor, 
And Baylor might be the most physical team in the conference. Down seven so, and a half. So I think if you're looking at the Baylor game, that might be the truest test of the KU run defense as sort of like a, a measuring stick game at the halfway point of the season. It's like how much has your run defense really improved? Because listen, they're going to play Houston. Houston has not looked good running the ball at all so far this season, so they're probably not going to be really challenged there in terms of the run game. And then I don't really know much about Duke in terms of the running game. I haven't looked into them too much. And then Iowa State and TCU are both teams that probably aren't going to run the ball a whole lot against KU. So I look at Baylor as maybe that game that is the truest test of the run defense for, for KU. And, and Baylor is a team that historically has KU's number. Mm-hmm. Baylor, Baylor and Oklahoma State over the last decade are the two teams that have, have just pretty much beaten Kansas badly every time they've played. So that's not good. So you have Baylor and, and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is at home. Spencer Sanders is probably the most experienced quarterback in the conference in terms of Big 12 play. Arguably the best. That's pretty debatable, though. I mean, he's he's not he's not incredible or anything like that. So that I don't I don't know how much you want to call Oklahoma State a winnable game. I guess their defense might not be as good, so maybe from that standpoint, you have a chance. But just for just for the sake of this, let's say KU drops those three games. Now they're five and four. Five and four with these three games left at Tech, Texas at home, and at K State. And the question becomes, can you win one of those three? Mm-hmm. And Tech is probably the one that's realistically most winnable. Maybe. Well, it's just if you have you five have wins Texas. at that point, it's just throwing numbers at it. It's not necessarily that you even have to be like, this is the one of those three you have to win, but it's that all three are more winnable. Could you win one? Yes. But, I mean, you know, Texas at home for the memes would be awesome, obviously. Especially especially if that game was the one that made KU Bowl eligible. <laughs> like, that would be incredible. And then at K-State is... It's that one's tough to gauge right now, just because obviously that's been a pretty one-sided game for a while, but maybe later in the season, who knows, right? So that to me, that's kind of the path. I think I think the most the optimistic, most realistic situation here for KU is five and one through their first six, and then all you have to do is win one more. Now you're gonna have a tough slate of obviously those three games that we that I mentioned, and then you have three more. Certainly not easy games at Texas Tech, at Texas, and at K-State. Neither one of those games are easy either. So basically, I guess you're just playing roulette and saying, can we win one of those? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of looking at it because I could sit here and say that if they do get to 4-2, and two, that feels like a record that is so close to tasting the bowl game to me that it makes them there. But you're right, with those three games uh, of Baylor, Okie State, and OU, that just it, it's tough to overcome that roadblock. Well, and, um, and the other issue is, I mean, think about it this way. In college football, week to week momentum, I think, is so important. So for KU, if you're five and one, but then you go to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. you lose. You go to Baylor, you lose. Oklahoma State at home, you lose. Suddenly, maybe that feel good, positive energy that you had when you were five and one, it's not hitting as much when you're five and four. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think honestly for me, um to get to that point, like I almost think they need to win this weekend. Because like really? Well, for them to be a bowl team because, yes, of course they could lose this weekend and then beat Duke, TCU, and Iowa State. But for all that to happen, that you're leaving yourself no margin for error. If that's what we're saying, if we're basically saying you got to get to 5-1 and one to be bowl eligible, you lose this week, you have no more margin for error. And, and it's easy to talk about like, oh, well, TCU and Iowa State have yeah, all I mean, these questions. I mean, the TCU-Iowa State games to me could be 
coin flips, right? They, those go either way, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not a guarantee. I mean, we it could easily KU could easily be in both of those games, but maybe the it, the ball bounces the other way and they lose both those games, right? So now you're in an even tougher spot if in terms of looking at bowl eligibility. Not now you're back to the discussion of well, let's just get to you know four wins or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and right now it looks like okay, so Iowa State would be about a eleven or twelve point favorite on neutral field. So maybe at KU it's a nine point favorite. And then TCU would be wow, that seems high. Uh they would be about a fifteen point favorite. Man, so they're really high. So we'll see. Right? I mean, it's it's still just through two weeks. So some of these models obviously you know, with teams like KU, it might take a little longer for them to, to adjust to a team like that who is having a big to, turnaround. To give KU a little bit more respect. But the point is, both those teams are probably still going to be favored over Kansas to some level. So yes, unless KU beats Houston and Duke. Yeah, so I, I think for me to take them seriously as, not just as a bowl contender, but to start taking them seriously as, oh, but they are, like, I think they will make a bowl, or I think they very easily could make a bowl, I think you got to win this week. That's where I'm at. Even okay, what if it's like a really close game and they lose by one possession? Are you I mean, still feeling that way? Well, I'll, or or does your does your mindset change at that point to instead of a bowl game, four or five wins? No, from from a bowl game perspective, it just has to be a win because there is a set line about you have to get to six wins. So yeah. if they play them close, if they lose in triple overtime. My thoughts about the program, my thoughts about how good the team is, those will both go up. But my thoughts about them actually being able to make the bowl game, it won't have gone down. It just won't have moved from where it is this week, which is basically this week. I'm basically, after the West Virginia game, I feel like Kansas is going to win four to five games. So who else are you going to pick up to get that possibility of getting a sixth win? And if you get this one, it makes me feel like the path is attainable to get to six. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think you're looking at either at Tech or Texas at home. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's really a really high chance that KU steals one from OU, Baylor, Oklahoma State. Doesn't seem very likely. It's not impossible, but it doesn't seem very likely considering the history of with some of those teams, Baylor and Oklahoma State especially. But, but yeah, so I think at that point you're looking at maybe it's a situation where KU is four and they'd be four and five. And maybe they had a really, maybe they played a really close competitive game against Oklahoma State at home. They go on the road, they beat Texas Tech, they come back against Texas, which now suddenly is like an interesting game because of the history there. Then maybe that's, then maybe that you could get it that way potentially. But, but yeah, I definitely am of the mindset of KU needs to be at minimum five and one, which to your point does not leave a lot of margin for error. And uh, again, the, the games against Iowa State and TCU and maybe even Duke now. Those are those are coin flip games. Like those are not guaranteed wins by any stretch of the word for, for KU at this point. Yeah, they so, could be if KU's playing really well, but you know, there's there's still some questions. Yeah, so maybe we should table some of the bull talk till some of those other things start happening and just try to kind of live in the moment. That hey, they're two and zero. We'll see what happens this <laughs> no, weekend. Yeah, it's, it's obviously very exciting that they're two and zero, and and there's a lot of energy around the program that hasn't been for a while. And and one one more thing I wanted to add is like. KU has tended to have that letdown game, but I feel like if the, if that letdown game was going to happen, it would have happened against West Virginia. Down 14 nothing in the first quarter. If the, if they were going to like have a letdown, they would have just rolled over and got blown up by West Virginia. 
That didn't happen. So now I kind of feel like that's not going to happen. They're not they're not going to have that letdown game. I guess we'll see, happen against, see what happens against Houston, but it feels like they're they are hardened now to where that's not something that's just going to happen that we've seen that happen to them in the past. I mean, we saw it last year that KU gets the big win at Texas, and then they didn't have a letdown the next week. They take on TCU. I, I do. There is a part of me that wonders from like a, you know, from a, a college kid standpoint of you just scored a big win and you do it on the road and you're playing a late night game. You don't get back till four or five in the morning. Yeah. You're not going to be able to go out to the bars and party and have a good time. Like, seriously, to where maybe it's easier <laughs> when you have a game, because that was the Texas game, too. It was a late-night game on yep. the road. You're not getting back till 4 or 5 in the morning. You don't have time to revel in the victory. You just have to be <laughs> like, okay, move on to the next one. So, who knows? Maybe that's actually, like, uh, a positive thing for KU that uh, it, it could work out like that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to be joined by Jeremy Branham in about 20 minutes from right now. But coming up next, we've got some KU football audio to get to you. That on the other side. Depend on it. About a quarter till four, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN and KLWN.com. And now we're joined by Jeremy Branham, the sideline analyst for Houston Radio Broadcast, co-host of the Killer Bees on ESPN Houston to kind of take a look at KU's opponent on Saturday. So, Jeremy, thanks for joining us today. Was there any worry from maybe, I don't know, I guess locally about overlooking this game early before the season began? And has KU's 2-0 start, as well as the Houston loss last week in a tough one, kind of allowed them to to have a strong focus going into this game? Within the program, no, not at all. Uh, Houston, of course, going to the Big 12 in a year, and they have a lot of respect for that conference, a lot of respect for, for Kansas and, you know, the the rebuild that they've been going under. So, you know, I, I don't think anybody within the program at all was taking it lightly. Uh, fan base, you know, maybe. You see Kansas's record over the years, things like that. But within the walls of the football department, the athletic department, absolutely not. And you're right. Uh, with the Kansas win last week, you know, Houston losing last week, uh, no, the fan base isn't taking it lightly anymore at all either. Yeah, and, and, you know, with what Dana Holgerson has done, obviously you see him coming over from West Virginia and former offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State, and you expect these big explosive offenses, which, which Houston obviously – still has been able to put up big point totals and everything, but over these last couple of years, it's been more about the defense for uh, the Cougars. So uh, what is kind of the, I guess, the thought around how good this team is, how good they can be this season, uh, especially coming off that tough loss to Tech? Uh, high expectations, and I think the expectations are still there, too, uh, despite the loss last week. Uh, you know, three-point loss on the road in Lubbock, 60,000 people are cussing your name. Uh, it's not the worst result in the world. Houston certainly feels like they should have won that game, but they made a lot of mistakes in that game that led to them not winning that game. So, you know, you lose a game during the college football season, you, you kind of have to, I guess, reevaluate your, you know, where you stand in the landscape of college football. But, you know, Houston still has everything out in front of them, too. They uh, have the American Conference ahead of them. Last year they were playing in that conference championship game, lost at Cincinnati, who was a very good opponent. They lost to Texas Tech last year at a neutral side at NRG Stadium in Houston, and then they rattled off uh, 11 straight wins after that. So Houston has aspirations to do that again. Uh, they think if they can win 11 in a row, they would, of course, you know, win the American Conference, and also uh, maybe they can sneak their way back into that New Year's Six conversation. 
Well, obviously, with the strength uh, being on the defensive side of the ball, uh, tell me a little bit about Sac Avenue and, and the strength of this defensive unit. You named it. I mean, Sac Avenue is what this defense has become known for. Uh, they have a defensive line that they like to rotate guys in and out, so it's, it's by committee. Uh, they, they have a lot of different players that they'll play amongst that defensive line. You'll see Doug Belk, the defensive coordinator, rotating the defensive line, and really all the defensive players, but especially the defensive line, quite a bit. Uh, if Kansas is subbing offensively, Houston's going to sub defensively. They, they like to use a lot of players. They believe in keeping you know legs fresh, trying to get at the quarterback that way. Uh, last year, Logan Hall was the big name, kind of uh, the defensive tackle, nose tackle, was drafted in early second round. Tampa Bay has already been a factor uh, in the NFL. But names this year, Derek Parrish had a huge game against Texas Tech. It seemed like he lived in the backfield uh, against Texas Tech, and he's playing with a, a broken finger, too. So he's kind of been the name there. D.A. Jones is somebody you'll hear called a lot. So Cedric Williams. Uh, has been a factor. But even outside of the defensive line, they have some, some really good skill, too. Donovan Mooton, who is a seasoned, experienced middle linebacker. He's, he's what you want out of a middle linebacker, makes tons of tackles, doesn't miss a whole lot of tackles. And the secondary's coming along. They, they lost uh, an NFL guy in Marcus Jones, who was one of the best punt returners in the country last year, but was a really good corner, too. Uh, New England took him in the middle of the NFL draft. And then Demarion Williams, who was a, a big factor for Houston in the last couple of years, uh, he was taken in the NFL draft as well. So new names in the secondary, uh, but coming along pretty nicely. The defense is looking pretty good. Has there been a common theme, whether it's it's last year or early on this year, of times when offenses have, have maybe found a little bit of success against that Houston defense? What, what have kind of been those commonalities? I think good offenses have been able to, you know, whenever they're they're playing well, can go after them a little bit. Uh, Dual-threat quarterbacks seem to, at times, uh, give Houston trouble in the past. Although that really hadn't been the case a whole lot with Doug Belk. Doug Belk's done a pretty good job uh, at that, uh, being able to kind of have a good game plan against those dual-threat quarterbacks, which Kansas, of course, uh, does have. Uh, They've been pretty seasoned. They've been pretty pretty good across the board. You know, whenever teams have had the greatest success, trying to think back, Cincinnati had some pretty good success against Houston, but that was kind of fourth quarter. Uh, kind of a heavy running game, wearing down Houston, things like that. But they've been pretty well-versed across the board. Obviously, being in the American, being in the same conference as Navy and Tulane, getting to face some teams that run different variations, but uh, of a lot of kind of option play. And we saw KU kind of unleash some of their option play and some triple option stuff against West Virginia. So how have the Cougars, how have the staff and everything approached those games in the past? And has that been an issue at all? Uh, previous to Doug Belk, it has been. I mean, I'm thinking of days of Keenan Reynolds and Navy who set college football records. He was tough for anybody to stop. But I've listened to Dana Holgerson do a couple of the media availabilities that he's had. Uh, we have the coaches show a little bit later tonight, so I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that. But I've heard him talk about this Kansas offense and how they have a lot of triple option element, how you know Navy somebody that comes to mind, if you can compare to Tulane, another one that comes to mind. So curious to see what Houston's going to do defensively to combat that. You know, whenever you go against Navy, you kind of have to change everything else that you're doing that week. Uh, Tulane's a little bit different because they do a lot of their stuff out of the shotgun, uh, whereas Navy's always under center. So really curious to see, you know, what Dana has to say tonight about that. And then, of course, on Saturdays, whenever you're going to see the true test, you see how Houston lines up defensively if they're major changes personnel-wise. But 
I imagine that, you know, the, the 11, 15, 20 guys that we've seen a lot for for the Houston Cougars will play in some, you know, so a lot of these similar uh, snap counts, things like that, but maybe shift it around a little bit from a formation point of view. On the Houston offensive side of the ball, Clayton Toon had the big season a year ago with 30 passing touchdowns back for more this year. And uh, here locally, that's certainly been a storyline with Toon being a former KU commit before eventually going over to Houston. How have you kind of seen him progress over the years, and, and what has he brought into this season in his uh, extra COVID year? Dana's done a really good job with him. Uh, I think that Clayton, you know, Dana coming to Houston was a really good thing for, for Clayton Toon. Uh, previous regimes, whether it was Applewhite, whether it was Herman, you know, they looked for more dual threat out of that position. And not to say that Clayton isn't capable of being a dual threat guy. He, he's very athletic. He's very big. He's a really good runner. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw the UTSA mm-hmm. highlight where in overtime he leaped over a human being. So he, he's capable of, of going out there and beating you with his legs. Now, Dana doesn't like him to do that a ton. Uh, critical downs, critical spots. You know, if you need it, you go get it. Uh, but he wants to protect uh, Clayton, too. He had a bit of a hamstring injury last year, had a bit of a hamstring injury two years ago. So that's something that has been a focal point for Dana is keeping Clayton Toon safe. And part of keeping Clayton Toon safe is to try to limit uh, the the running ability that Clayton has. I actually think that last year, whenever he hurt his hamstring, he played through it. It wasn't a serious uh, strain. I believe it made him a better quarterback. He had to kind of pick you up from the pocket a little bit more than, than he had been accustomed to. Uh, I think it made him better in going through his progression, things like that. And that was naturally going to come, too, with Dana Holgerson, who's kind of an offensive mind. Uh, Clayton, he looks the part to me. You know, he looks like an NFL quarterback. He's big. Uh, he's got a good enough arm. He's been accurate. His decision-making's gotten a lot better. Clayton's taken off to me. I think if he has a really good year this year, uh, you're, you're looking at an NFL guy playing on Sundays. On the offensive side, the the running game statistically has yet to get going for Houston so far this season. Is there a reason why? Is there cause to be concerned on on that end? Or or I guess how committed do you think they will be to trying to get that going on Saturday? The two big things that would jump to to the forefront of mind would be Alton McCaskill, who last year was one of the best freshmen in the entire country, uh, tore his ACL before the start of the season, going to miss probably the entire year. Uh, he was a huge, huge piece to the Houston Cougar offense a year ago. If he was healthy, he would be the bell cow uh, for this Houston Cougar running game. So you had to rely on kind of a committee there. Uh, Tejon Henry got the first crack at it, uh, got banged up a little bit against UTSA, and got a little banged up against Tech as well, uh, former Texas Tech transfer, kind of a small guy, scat back. Brandon Campbell, the next guy up. It was a USC transfer. He's kind of getting used to the, the system. He's looked good in spurts. Hadn't been, he's not blowing you away statistically, but he's looked pretty good. looks the part. And then Stacy Sneed, who's been in the, uh, in the program for a couple of years, uh, first time we've really seen him, seen him get game action. He's been solid, but I think that the coaching staff would point to the offensive line and how they need to get better uh, run blocking from the offensive line. They, they think that the running backs are plenty good to put up some good running numbers. Uh, they're just not getting that run blocking that they would like to see for the offensive line, clearing some lanes for those three running backs I mentioned. So what are the some of the things that, that jump out from your perspective, from the Houston perspective, of things that Kansas does well that are going to be key for, for the game and, and how Houston kind of reacts to them? 
I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier. It's what Kansas does offensively, a lot of the triple off, uh, triple option elements, which uh, that's, that's not easy to prepare for. It's a lot different than a normal game week. It's unique to things that you see in college football. So I want to be really curious to see how the Cougars come out, try to defend that on Saturday, gap responsibility, player responsibility, got to win your matchups, things like that, all the cliches you know. But uh, that, to me, is the biggest key from a defensive perspective. Offensively, I think they do need to get better you know, running the football than what they've been these past couple of weeks. Uh, I think it all starts there. You know, but Some of the passing numbers for, for Clayton Toon, when you look back at last season, were games where you had uh, huge running games, too, because it was opening things up. A lot of it was McCaskill, but you have a good running game. It opens things up for your QB, so... Houston's gonna. Houston always believes in the run, which sounds weird from a you know an air raid team. Dana Holgerson coming from that air raid under the leech tree, things like that. But he also is a big believer in time control or time of possession, ball control. So he believes it starts with the running game, and I think Houston's gonna try to get that that back on track on Saturday. Uh, maybe this is kind of, of of the same ilk, but um, are there any players that? you feel like need to play well from Houston or, or any individual player matchups that you may be most intrigued by in this one? Offensive line is a unit. Uh, they, they, they need to be better. Uh, Dana Holgerson's talked about that. Uh, he's been very uh, open about that. Um, I, I expect that the playmakers for Houston, they haven't really had a game yet. Those are coming. It may not be Saturday against Kansas, but I, I believe guys like Matthew Golden, who's a true freshman, is going to have a big breakout game. Joseph Manjack, who was a transfer, uh, had a really good catch in the UTSA game. I think he's going to be somebody who's going to be a factor at, you know, I'm talking about big volume at some point. Same thing with Brandon Campbell. I believe Brandon Campbell is going to break out, have a big game at some point. doesn't necessarily mean Saturday. Defensively, I I believe Donovan Mooton could have a big game in terms of tackles, things like that. He is their best tackler. Uh, We've talked to, you know, a fair amount about the triple option elements. I think he's going to have to have a pretty big game for Houston to, to slow down that Kansas offense. All right, well, Jeremy, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, before I do let you go, though, for any KU fans are going to be heading down to the Houston area around campus this weekend, and uh, who knows, maybe getting a lot more familiar with Houston joining the Big 12 here coming up. A- any local spots that you would recommend going to check out, whether it's a local watering hole or a place to eat? Well, you got to get Tex-Mex while you're here. That's a bus. Tex-Mex or barbecue. You can't go wrong with either one. Uh, the Tex-Mex, if you walk down a street long enough, you could probably fall yourself into a place <laughs> that's really good. But a couple of my favorite fajita spots, the original Ninfas, El Tiempo, Papacitos are all really good. Uh, barbecue, a little bit more of a niche. and You might have to wake up early. Uh, but Killens, best beef rib in the city of Houston. There we go. Jeremy, I appreciate the time, man, and uh, have fun on the call on Saturday. I appreciate you having me, guys, anytime. All right, that's Jeremy Branham, sideline analyst for the Houston Radio Broadcast, co-host of the Killer Bees on ESPN Houston. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Chiefs-Chargers game next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I am Derek Johnson. On KLWN, coming up, we'll uh, have some Andy Kotelnicki audio to share for you later on this hour. Josh Briscoe joins us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, and we've also got some more KU football player audio to get to you. But the Chiefs take on the Chargers tonight, the Thursday night football 
I guess they're calling it like the Thursday Night Football like opener of the season for the broadcast because it is. It's the first one on like Amazon and stuff. Yep. Uh, don't worry though if you if you do live in the local area, you can watch it like on. I forget if it's NBC or, or one yeah, of the local NBC. channels, so you don't okay. have to worry. I didn't know that was a thing. Like what? I didn't know that if it was a a local, if you were in like a local region, it would still you still your game would still be on like regular yeah. network channels. So I if, never, you, if you're reason, in, I never knew that was a thing. Yeah, whatever the the like LA area is, they'll get the Chargers game. Whatever the like area for like, the Chiefs, even if it's on like ESPN or. Amazon Prime. No, so the or... ESPN ones are on ESPN only, I believe. Okay. But I think ESPN is part of like regular. I don't know. That's a good question. But this one specifically, they are at least doing both. So you don't have to worry about it. If you don't have Amazon Prime, you can still watch it on local TV. Which is great because I don't have Amazon Prime. Well, imagine if like Amazon would have been on the Super Bowl and like they had the Super Bowl. Yeah. Not bad. I mean, that would suck. Yeah. I, I, I understand Amazon's trying to get into the game, but. Yeah, to not have your okay, own... you might be on Amazon. Who knows? What if they get involved in the Big 12? No, I understand. But to, to not have your own yeah. n- like network channel is tough because right now, I've, I mean, you know, a significant majority of your audience is going to be over the age of, you know, let's say 30 mm-hmm. or 40. And obviously we know, or I certainly know, that once you get up to that age, some of those people struggle with technology. So you might be... You might be paying even more money for the media rights just to lose viewers. Yeah. I guess the the recommendation I would have is you can always, I guess, go to your local sports bar. But it, it sucks. For people who, who live in, like, areas where maybe you don't have good enough Wi-Fi to consistently stream things. I mean, yeah. obviously, like I said, you'll be able to watch the Chiefs on local. But what if you want to watch a big Thursday night football game down the road between two teams that aren't local? Like that. Yeah. I, I don't love it, to be honest. I already walked my dad through how to sign in. On Amazon Prime, I, I called him. Called him earlier this week. I was like, "Hey, Dad, here's what you do. Don't panic if you can't. You know, give yourself plenty of time before the game mm-hmm. to log in. Make sure you know where it's at." So the biggest matchup for me in this game is Derwin James, Travis Kelsey. Derwin James is when I say done pretty well in his career. That's not me saying that like, oh, Travis Kelsey's had zero catches over the course of his. No, like it's like defending Michael Jordan, like. If Michael Jordan has 28 points against you on 38% shooting, you still look at the end of the day and you're like, oh, man, he scored 28 points. <laughs> but you're like, okay, I made him work for it, right? Like that That's the case when you're defending superstars like Travis Kelsey. So if Kelsey has a game where he has you know four catches for 52 yards as opposed to having a game where he has eight catches for 112 yards, uh, you did good work defensively there. Uh, but last year, Derwin James, and, and this has been part of the problem too, like Derwin James always gets injured. Like it's it's just constantly every year he gets injured, yeah. but he's this super freak like linebacker safety kind of hybrid who runs like a safety but hits like a linebacker. And against Travis Kelsey when he was on the field before he got injured in that game last year, uh, the Chiefs played 22 snaps of offense. Kelsey had just one catch for 14 yards. After Derwin James got injured, the Chiefs played 30 snaps. He had nine catches for 177 yards and two touchdowns. Now, who's to fully know how much those splits are Derwin James specific versus just the Chiefs? Maybe part of the game plan was not to have Kelsey super involved early and use him as a decoy, right? I don't know the answer to that, but that seems to be pretty telling numbers. So uh, I guess the way that, like, 
if Derwin James is defending Travis Kelsey and Kelsey's still able to go off, that's probably going to completely mess up the Chargers' game plan defensively because they're probably going to view it as, we can take care of this guy one-on-one. But if Derwin James can at least handle Travis Kelsey, then it's certainly going to put more pressure on all those other receivers for the Chiefs. Yeah, I also wonder if in previous iterations of this matchup with Derwin James on the field against Travis Kelsey, you wonder if the if the Chargers' defense wasn't more game plan towards stopping Tyree Kill from getting behind them, so that left Derwin James more one on one with Travis Kelsey. But I wonder if in this game they might just go ahead and try to double Kelsey with James and somebody else or something, and and try to have and and really make sure that that Kelsey can't beat them and force it to the wide receivers or whatever. But that go, that kind of goes back to the point of that we started to see against the Cardinals, which is no more Tyree Kill means that you have now you have a lot of different guys that can do a lot of different things. You have Juju Smith, you have Travis Kelsey, you have Valdez Scantling, you have Miko Hardman, you have Sky Moore. Like the 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 depth of weapons for the Chiefs is a bit more deeper. So instead of it instead of just trying to say we're not going to let Tyreek take take the top off our defense and we're going to focus on him and whatever, right? Like now it's a question of okay, well now they've got four different guys that they could go to that Mahomes feels pretty comfortable going to. So yeah, it'll be interesting and that and I think that is certainly the match the matchup to, to keep an eye on, right? Because I think now you're getting to a point where these types of tight ends that are just big receiving tight ends that are really good is kind of it's almost becoming the norm in the NFL. So for the Chargers to have a guy like Derwin James who they can put on tight ends makes it a lot easier for them defensively, I'm sure, but obviously he's gotta stay healthy. But but yeah, that that to me is is going to be an interesting matchup. And and I think it becomes a question of what does Andy Reid do? We know what kind of great offensive mind he is, but it's also on a short notice. I mean, this is a Thursday night game after week one, right? So not a ton of time to really potentially dial up any sort of unique stuff maybe that you wanted to throw at the Chargers as much as you would on a Sunday game. So it's certainly an interesting matchup. But the right situation is that Travis Kelsey has proven time and time again that he will get his numbers against pretty much anyone. So I don't know that you need to be like that concerned, like, oh no, Travis Kelsey's gonna get locked up. Like I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think it's more so just uh you know, in the case that they're able to limit him a little bit more, who else can kind of step up in that situation? And and you're right, with having all those other guys, I think that does open you up more that it can't just be as easy as Okay, well, if we lock up Kelsey and we double team this guy, they have no other options. They do have that depth of options now, which is good. I also think this is a game that I look at the Chiefs having a good opportunity to run the football well. The the scheme that Brandon Staley, the, the head coach, brought over from the Rams, it's this thing that like Iowa State kind of does that, that they made popular where it's basically you're like consistently in like these nickel and dime packages to help you against the pass. You're limiting big plays and you try to do good enough against the run and the short passes to eventually have the offense stall out in some way. There's going to be openings on the ground, or at least there should be for the Chiefs in this game with a good run-blocking offensive line with running backs that you'll be rotating in throughout the game that it's not going to be a staple of the offense. Like It's it's still going to be up to what Patrick Mahomes does on key plays. Like That'll be the biggest part of the game. But I think this will be a good opportunity for the Chiefs to establish a bit of the run, and maybe that can be another way for them to, to do well offensively because this is... Uh, it, it's a very talented Chargers defense. I don't know if they're going to have all the pieces there with J.C. Jackson. He's questionable for tonight, but he's a really good corner. Um, they have Derwin James, obviously, in the back end as well. You look at the defensive line, it's really good, especially bookended on the outside with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, who had three sacks against the Raiders. So having a good running game would really help you, and I think 
um, kind of keeping the defense guessing what you're doing offensively and also maybe avoiding those defensive ends being able from just pinning their ears back. Yeah, and to go back to what you were saying at the beginning of that, what was the sort of defensive game plan against the Chiefs or the the general defensive thought against the Chiefs last year and even before that? It was, let's make them dink and duck and run the mm-hmm. ball and make them hurt themselves or make them you know get impatient and make a mistake, right? Well, we talked about this earlier in the week. In the Cardinals game, that looked like a strength of the Chiefs, right? It looked like that was what they were going to be able to do is be able to, to move the ball with the short and medium passing game and, and run it as well. So suddenly... Your maybe your defensive game plan that you had for the Chiefs that you thought might work, it kind of goes out the window, right? I mean, based off week one, it seems like that's going to be maybe a strength of the Chiefs is hey now now we are gonna now we are gonna just slice you up with eight nine yard passes and then we're gonna hit Kelsey on a corner route for twenty yards and then we're gonna run the ball as well. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it almost feels like maybe from a defensive standpoint, you're. Not necessarily back to square one, but you're back to the drawing board in a, in a sense of trying to stop the Chiefs because with Tyree when when Tyree Kill was on the Chiefs, it was obviously going into the game. It was okay. We got to stop Tyree Kill, right? Now that he's gone, you still have Travis Kelsey, but but suddenly the defensive game plan is like less of well, let's just try not to give up the 60 yard touchdown pass to where now you wanted to, you were for, you wanted them to dink and dunk. Well, now you're in a situation where the Chiefs look like they're going to excel at that. So that to me brings up an interesting question of what 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 do the Chargers do in this game, and then what do defenses do over the course of this season? Because the other thing that I really noticed from Patrick Mahomes against the against the Cardinals was he just had this supreme sense of calm. Like I don't think I've ever seen Patrick Mahomes like just look that calm and like totally stone faced, locked in as he was against the Cardinals. That was that was something I think a bit new from Patrick Mahomes. Was like he it just seemed like he was totally locked in and but really oh but he was locked in and had energy but at the same time brought this sense of calmness right that he was completely in control and if that is going to continue that's going to be a big problem also for defenses as well yeah um here's some news by the way from jeremy fowler jc jackson is pushing to play though pregame warm-ups will likely determine so i guess okay, he's so still kinda, questionable so but kind of whole home yeah yeah um <laughs> I think the other end of the ball, like it's it's going to be a little bit of a confirmation moment for if this Chiefs defense is a lot better than last year. Yeah, because we 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 both said it like in week one, it looked pretty good, and the Cardinals' top receiver was Greg Dortch. Exactly, I didn't even know who Greg Dortch was before the game started. Yeah, so it's like how much of it was the Chiefs' defense is better? How much of it is the Cardinals are just not very good? Listen, I don't want to offend any Greg Dortch fans, but I just. I'm sorry. I didn't know who that guy was. He was he was dicing up the Chiefs defense. Well, it's it's you know, a little extra stress too without Trent McDuffie now, although yeah. the Chargers don't have Keenan Allen. So if you think about it, those guys were probably gonna be, you know, on each other, so maybe it kinda equals out anyway. Um Yeah, I think in this game the Trent McDuffie discussion certainly equals it out. But long term, that's a big yes, problem. Yes, it is. That is a big big problem. So let's see what, you know, Jalen Watson, the seventh round pick can do. He had an impressive camp, an impressive preseason, but it's still a seventh round pick who's starting in his second game of his NFL career, right? That's a that's a lot to to kind of count on a guy. Yeah. I do think that the uh the quicker, the faster linebackers and and just some of the the defensive speed that you're going to see in this game is going to be super beneficial in this matchup specifically because you're talking about a quarterback who can scramble, who can run around. You're talking about a quick running back who can get out in the open field, who can 
uh, get on linebackers defensively and make the linebacker cover him, and that's going to be helped by some of the increased speed that you have. And I guess, too, like the idea that you have these safeties that are now more similar to each other in that you can kind of disguise certain things. I'll be curious if they can have some of those disguises and schematic things this early in the season with so many new players to try to, I guess, confuse Justin Herbert. Yeah, Willie Gay and Nick Bolton are definitely going to be tested in this game defensively from the standpoint of coverage because Austin Eckler is the type of guy that that the Chargers, they love to get the ball to him out of the flat. They love to get him receiving routes. And they they like to line him up in a different a lot of different situations as well. So it's going to be a test for Willie Gay and Nick Bolton because they're probably going to be the guys responsible for trying to to slow down Austin Eckler as much as possible. And he he is the guy who was one of the top running backs in the NFL in terms of receptions and receiving yards and that kind of stuff. So they definitely like to get him the ball out in the flat. And yeah, that that's going to be a real test for two guys that I think we both agree are are certainly significant upgrades in terms of out in space making tackles and whatnot. But now we're going to kind of see that. We're going to see how good they can be against a team that really likes to utilize their running back. And Eckler obviously is a really talented running back that they'll have to try to wrap him up in space and, and keep him from, from breaking big plays. Is there a player or a couple players that you think has to have a big game for the Chiefs if they're going to win this? Would it be silly to say Patrick Mahomes? No, I, I think that's almost <laughs> that, just like a given, though. Is that kind though. of a cop-out? Okay. Um, maybe Juju. I mean, if you, if you look at, if we're going back to the discussion of Travis Kelsey, like if Travis Kelsey is kind of slowed down, then you're going to need some receiver to step up, and maybe that's Juju. But I think the the, the joy for the Chiefs, I don't, I don't think joy is the right word, the the solace for the Chiefs maybe is that it doesn't have to be Juju. It could be MVS. It could be Nicole Hardman. Like I said, last week they had two they had two touchdowns to Nicole Hardman that were both just barely overthrown by Patrick Mahomes. So if if Nicole Hardman catches those two touchdowns, suddenly he's like your player of the game, right? So I'll be curious again to see what that looks like in terms of getting the ball to Nicole Hardman. But but yeah, maybe Juju. And then defensively, I'm, I'm looking at Chris Jones. Chris Jones is my guy to watch every single week, basically, for the Chiefs. He's He has to produce. He ha- he just has to. And he doesn't have to produce necessarily from like getting sacks and getting tackles and whatnot. He just has to produce from just being a force, just bull rushing up the middle, knocking passes down, f- plugging holes in the run game, whatever. Like he, I, Chris Jones does not have to be a guy that is like, wow, three sacks for Chris Jones tonight. He just needs to. Be, he just needs to be a wrecking ball in the middle, but not necessarily. I'm not really concerned about the stats aspect of it so much. It's just he just needs to be causing problems, mm-hmm. and that's going to open things up for the pass rush on the outside. That's going to open things up for the linebackers in the run game to come up and make tackles and whatnot. But yeah, he's he's the guy, and, and I guess to a certain extent now with Trent McDuffie out, yeah, you're Rashad Fenton or Jalen Watson, either one of those guys, either one of those guys is is going to be in the spotlight certainly tonight as well. Yeah, I, I I like both of those. Chris Jones definitely needs to have a big game. So, um, I don't know. Like, I, I think they can get by if if one of the receivers doesn't have a good game or something like that. To where if Marcus yeah. Valdez Scantling doesn't have a good game, Juju can step up <laughs> or or one way or the other or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's hard to see them 
winning the game without the defensive line at least causing some sort of pressure. So whether it's Chris Jones, Frank Clark, George Kaloftis, somebody on the D-line has to be creating some pressure and uh, getting to Justin Herbert in this one. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and covered patio. More RCST next. Chiefs take on the Chargers tonight, Thursday night football. We'll get, uh, that's right, Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels are going to be on the call, I believe. So that'll be interesting on its own right. Uh, Josh Briscoe joins us now, co-host of The Zone and Chiefs Post Game on Sports Radio 810. Arrowhead Report on SI Now, Times Ours on The Athletic. You can also give him a follow at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Uh, one thing that I was considering as, as we look at Patrick Mahomes coming into this year, obviously the big national conversation was what is the Chiefs offense going to be without Tyree Kill and it almost feels like from a national level, like maybe not after week one, maybe that one week was enough for people to be like, okay, that, that whole thing was silly because it was. Um, but typically we we look at players and we go, man, he's just now entering his prime. But it feels like with Patrick Mahomes, when his first year as a starter, he wins MVP, that never becomes a conversation. It's just like, oh, is he always in his prime? But now that he is, I guess, getting more toward or or maybe is in that age range that we would typically consider athletes like in their prime. Do you think we're going to consider that for Patrick Mahomes or is it just a completely different animal for him? I, uh, I don't want to give you too big of an ego right at the beginning of the segment, but I think that is such an interesting question and like a very, thank a you, very thank interesting you. way to look at Patrick Mahomes, which doesn't happen very often. We've covered most of the narratives around Mahomes over the last few years, but that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I, I think that that all comes from, uh, a baseline of going back to 2018, whenever you come onto the scene as as incredibly proficiently as Patrick Mahomes did, I, I think that comes with a sort of disbelief from everyone else that he could ever be better than that. You know, like, well, this maybe this is fluky a little bit, or, or maybe we've already seen the best. There's no way he can be better than he was at the debut, so maybe he just caught the NFL by, by surprise, and then you get, you know, a year of, can the NFL figure out Patrick Mahomes? And, and now we're here, and, and I think to, to that point, I mean, one week of a, a very small sample size, but, but one week of the offense looking absolutely electric without Tyreek Hill, looking like a well-oiled machine, but not necessarily less explosive while, while still being incredibly efficient. I, I really do think that, that we should be having more of a conversation about the, the prime of Patrick Mahomes and, and where this season fits in that. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, because I think you could ultimately look back and say, yeah, when he had Hill and Kelsey and Andy Reid, that was a really symbiotic relationship. But it became even more so Patrick Mahomes' team whenever Tyreek Hill left. Not that it's any less for, for Kelsey or Andy Reid at this point, but Mahomes is now doing it with a different cast of characters. Uh, and I, I do wonder if he'll get more credit for that, and therefore if, if we'll be talking about him being in his prime or just entering his prime now. Yeah, and, and I think the... I guess what the production would look like is interesting to to try to figure out there too because if it is a better version of what we've already seen from Patrick Mahomes, it's like what is he going to throw sixty touchdowns in a season? Like what does that look like? Or is because you don't have a guy like Tyreek Hill anymore? Like could there be a case that you know if the Chiefs' offense is better this year? Obviously, certain people are going to come out and say, well, clearly they were being you know they're they're better without Tyreek Hill. But in reality, couldn't it just be that they took a slight step back by losing Tyreek Hill, but then the improvements that were made by Patrick Mahomes took, uh, I I guess, such a big step forward that it carried the rest of the team to be better? 
Yeah, I think I think it's probably in that space in the ladder there where talking about Mahomes improving. We, we were talking about this in the zone a, a week or two ago. You know, looking at like what his stats could be. And I, I kind of I, I was on the, the side of I don't think Patrick Mahomes can have a statistical career year. Uh, very, I don't think it's very likely because that, that first season was statistically so outrageous. But I think that his play can be more impressive. In what, where he can be more precise and more excellent. And I, I think the way that that would translate would be taking fewer, um, more contested shots in favor of finding more of the matchups at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap reads, as the ball is snapped, realizing what the defense is doing, and, and just getting even more proficient. I, I think I'm overusing that word, but it's the word I keep thinking about. Being more proficient with whatever defenses are going to throw at him, where, where his improvement at this point in his career it isn't even going to be in a, a matter of really like raising his ceiling any higher. Just I think he already has no ceiling on what he can be um, outside of just the general limitations of a 60-minute football game. But beyond that, it's can he be progressively closer to surgically perfect while also having all of the uh, all of the traits that made him an MVP as soon as the world got to see him. So what is the the big takeaway from week one? Is it that you know they're going to be fine with Tyreek Hill? Is it too early to tell? Is it that um, the Cardinals just aren't very good? Is it just that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you should never want to have to play them in the first week of the season? I mean, what, what is the big overwhelming takeaway from the first week? Yeah, I mean, we don't really know what the Cardinals are going to ultimately show themselves to be. So you can take it all with a little grain of salt. But I think there's, I think there's a big takeaway on both sides of the ball. One is that, hey, we, we thought this. I felt great about this before the game. But the offense wasn't going to look totally lost without Tyreek Hill. That was sort of the question that I think – some people could have asked. I would have said, no, you're fine. This is going to work out okay. But even then, I expected there would be some growing pain, some amount of, you know, some pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that uh, he goes one way, the ball goes the other, and it's either picked off or falls harmlessly to the ground, whatever it may be. But there was just none of that. Like, they looked like the well-oiled machine, like they had been all together for years. So, so for me, the, the – the, um, Lack of mistakes, the way that it really moved as one unit offensively was the biggest takeaway on that side. Defensively, I, I told you I expected a couple growing pains offensively, and we could still see those. But on the defensive side, I was, I was ready to talk myself through any sort of coping I needed to do. If they were going to give up 30 points to the Cardinals, I would have said, look, I mean, you're, you're running new guys out there, a lot of rookies, even more so now, Chip McDuffie going to IR. I mean, you hope he's back uh, after missing a minimum amount of time. We don't know for sure. So now you're going to have a seventh-round corner uh, essentially starting for the Chiefs tonight. I mean, with that all in mind, the defense looked totally competent, totally totally put together. Like They, they were not out of sorts. They, they did not look like a brand-new group that had just been thrown onto a field for the first time together. And uh, I think for both sides of the ball, that is a testament to the individual players that they have pulled together. Maybe even more so, though, I think it's got to be a testament to the coaching staff that was able to get all of these pieces to gel on both sides of the ball. And frankly, on special teams, too. Dave Tobe lost like five, this is off the top of my head, but like five of his top six or seven snap getters on special teams, something in that range. In every phase of the game, they looked like they had been there before, despite not having been there with these players. I think that's a big deal. So obviously Chiefs taking on Chargers tonight. Uh, as far as like matchups go, whether it's you know a unit, 
individual players, whatever it is. What, what's the best matchup for the Chiefs tonight against the Chargers? Um, I think the best matchup for, like, just football nerds might be Travis Kelsey and Derwin James because Derwin James is excellent, but Travis Kelsey also eats against the Chargers. So just seeing how they how that little chess match works is going to be fascinating. Um, in terms of the best matchup for the Chiefs, I, I think it obviously kind of hinges on J.C. Jackson and, and if he's going to play. It seems like it's trending in that direction. But if he does play, how much does he play? How much can he keep up with the straight line speed? Can he change direction if his ankle's not 100%? And so I, I think the Chiefs are going to have to try to hunt for whatever their best matchup is with a pass catcher up against their, the weakest link at corner. Um, and, and, you know, if you're talking about most impactful matchups, it, it's on the edges and it's the pass rush. And that, that's sort of the fun thing about this is that you could probably go like 10, 10 bullet points deep on, on really interesting matchups all around. So what's the matchup then that I guess is the biggest worry for the Chiefs coming into this one? My uh, Let me give you my runner-up first because it's, it's what I, I feel like I should say, but it's not actually true. Second place for me is Bosa plus Mac plus tackle to we're still kind of seeing how it all comes together. Obviously, Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown have been for a long time now, but what's that passer going to look like against this O-line that just got, you know, a, a, a USFL pass rush against it last week? They, the Cardinals didn't have any juice on their edge rushers. We, we knew that going in. Um, so that's interesting, but I think Mahomes is going to be able to manage all of that. So that's why it's second for me. And, and the, the bigger one is the Chiefs' own edge rushers. Can George Karloftis get home? Can they produce against Justin Herbert? Can they make him uncomfortable? Uh, the whole pass rush, obviously, you want to include Chris Jones on the interior. Can he push up into Justin Herbert, make him move? And then, look, he's, he's no statue. He's deadly on the run also. But if you can disrupt him, he becomes becomes a little bit less of a Terminator, and you have a chance for a Frank Clark or a George Karloftis or a Carlos Dunlap to clean that up. And so that, that's the matchup for me that worries me as well, because if they don't affect Herbert, uh, this game this game could be could be a long one. I don't think the Chiefs are going to you know get, get run out of the building by any means, but it could be a, uh, a shootout that ultimately ends in a, uh, a, a whoever has the ball last sort of situation. If they do get pressure on Herbert, I think the Chiefs win this game. Um, I don't want to say easily because getting to Herbert won't be easy, but if I could guarantee that, I would feel very confident about a Chiefs win. Well, one thing I'm curious about for this game specifically is, you know, with with the style of defense that Brandon Staley got kind of, I guess, popular with what he did with the Rams and coming over from, I, I want to say it was like Iowa State, it's kind of that, like, what, four two five, like you're, you're kind of playing more of a pass defense, keeping everything in front of you. Um, to where you're going to allow for maybe some underneath passes or, or maybe some of the running game. And like you mentioned with, with Derwin James, and maybe if he's able to affect Travis Kelsey in a way, I think there were certain plays that were shown on film in the Raiders game where they would have Derwin James lined up on Darren Waller and then they double-team like Devontae Adams or something like that to try to um, limit some of the offense. And if... If the Chargers are able to do that, and I, when I say successfully, I'm not saying that, oh, Patrick Mahomes is now all of a sudden going to go, you know, 14 of 35 for 180. Right. Like, no, like we still know Patrick Mahomes is going to uh, feast to a certain amount. But if it's successful enough in that it makes uh, the Chiefs have to work a lot harder for those gains in the passing game, is there an argument to be made that this could be a Chiefs running game that leads them to a win? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think to, to a certain extent, right, because like you, you kind of alluded to, whenever you talk about Patrick Mahomes not being the reason the Chiefs win a game, it, it's still grading on a real sliding scale. There. Yeah, and I guess I, I guess I don't mean from that standpoint. Like, clearly, yes, Patrick sure, Mahomes right. is more valuable. I just mean from like a, you know, this could be an opportunity for the Chiefs to do more with the run than maybe we saw in week one or, or in other games. Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something there for sure. It's just, right, as we've as we have maybe belabored the point on when Patrick Mahomes is there, that's that's how you get defenses to play you differently. But if if Mahomes can be that enormous gravitational pull that he is, um, the run blocking last week was excellent from this Chiefs O line, and the uh, the running backs all had really good days. Um, it's kind of funny because like Clyde Edwards-Helaire's two touchdowns were were schemed brilliantly executed perfectly and and were were walk-ins basically um Jarek mckinnon the work that he got though he looked explosive clyde was living in space and i say that as a huge compliment to everything going on there um and then isaiah pacheco gets the work late in the game right and that you, you can see them trying to get him acclimated to the nfl game every element of that worked last week the, the running backs with their opportunities were productive and they were given very high quality opportunities. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that that could be a, a recurring theme, not just not just tonight, but throughout the, the course of the year, where whenever we talk about you know the Chiefs bring the ball more or less or when or why or drafting running backs or how you acquire them or whatever it may be, the thing for me that is always difficult is trying to talk yourself into handing the football off to a running back who's going to run into the butt of his guard instead of letting Patrick Mahomes drop back. Usually, I would rather go ahead and leave the ball in the hands of number 15. But whenever you're getting really quality looks and, and you are being able to affect the defense because they're worried about other stuff and then on the ground you become a dominant force, yeah, that, that is very valuable uh, if they can continue to be as efficient with the running game and, and even passing to the running backs as an extension of the running game, which they did to such a high level against the Cardinals. We saw Juju Smith-Schuster be the most popular target from the receiving position for the Chiefs in Week 1. Do you expect that to kind of continue into week two, or do you think it's going to kind of be a, a rotating wheel of who that guy is? Um, I think it's going to be Juju at one consistently. He was the guy that throughout the course of training camp, and obviously he didn't get much uh, much work at all, and I think no catches right in the preseason. Uh, and even still, everything that everything that we heard and everything we saw in, in camp and, and even in practices afterwards, it, it just seems like Juju's the guy. That, that Mahomes knows he can go to almost any time, not quite to the Travis Kelsey extent, I suppose, but like any game situation, Juju can help you there. Um, MVS, I think, is a, is a really excellent sort of change of pace option, and, and he'd be my second guy that I would be looking for. There will be days where he leads the team in receiving. I, I would feel pretty good about that. Uh, and then McCole Hardman can be used to kind of stretch the defense in different places. But yeah, I, I think Juju's going to be the number one wide receiver on this team uh, over the course of the year. Obviously, and by design, not to extent that Tyreek Hill was, uh, but but still by by at least a little margin. All right, we're talking with Josh Briscoe here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, and uh, I have a couple more good idea, bad ideas for you. Are you ready? Love it. Okay. I am so ready. It's my favorite game in radio. <laughs> okay. First up, uh, playing a game, because obviously the Chiefs, you know, painted the the field and everything. It's it's cool look. There, there are a bunch of people, like, watching the, the video, including my, my co-host Nick Springer was just uh, allured by it yesterday. Um, but imagine playing a game. I, I think it's called Diwali. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like, uh, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it because I feel like I'm going to mess something up with the culture here. But nonetheless, uh, basically playing a game where the home team 
wears all white, so white pants, white socks, Ooh. white jerseys, and they paint literally the field right before the game. So like the 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 hash marks are different colors of the team colors, and, and everything has paint on it except for just the standard grass so that as the game goes on, it's it's fresh paint. You know, it's still wet. As the yes. whole team is falling, yes. they're picking up all these different colors on the jerseys. Incredible idea. Like a tie-dye. You're going to have a tie-dye uniform mm-hmm. by the end, essentially. Uh, yeah, this is an incredible idea. I am only upset that I did not suggest this myself first. I will be taking this to the highest power that I can make listen to me. Um, I will see if I can get old with Clark Hunt to suggest this for uh, a game very soon. I love this. This is a great idea. Well, like, you could even find ways to, you know, whenever we get, like, a Jaguars-Texans game on Thursday Night Football, they say color rush game. Make it actual, like, a color field rush game. And then yeah. everybody will love it. They, they do that color run. I don't, I don't, I've not done it because it involves running. Um, I like the color part, the running part, not as much. But, yeah, have them, have them run through, like, a cloud of smoke bombs and, and spray paint out of the tunnel. I mean, there are so many ways you go about that. I, I, I love it. This is, this is my favorite uh, aesthetic update to, uh, to the football, to football in a long time, and I wish the Seahawks would have done it on uh, Monday night. Mm, that would have been great. Okay, uh, having Justin Reed always be the kickoff guy, even when Harrison Butker is healthy because it gives you an extra tackler. It is. That's, you know what? You actually almost pulled me over on that last point. I actually think there's some merit to that probably. It is very narrowly a bad idea, only because I know that Dave Tobe likes to have Harrison Butker do different things to keep him guessing uh, on the return game where you have Butker you know, trying to, to drop the ball just inside the one and make them return it, uh, and then maybe you get enough arc under it to try to pin them back behind the 25. So it's, it is – I don't think it's a bad idea. In the binary of the game, I'll give it bad idea, but not by very much. I, I think Reed could just boom him out of the back of the end zone, but then the tackling aspect goes away, I guess. Giving Patrick Mahomes a sockum bopper to put on his left hand so he can cushion his falls this season. Incredible idea, incredible reference. I love those. Um, if he needs a whole hand instead, I would mm. also support that. Uh, but yeah, one of the uh, like the like the inflatable like purple ones that you could just absolutely you could clobber your little brother with. Not that I would know that from <laughs> firsthand experience. Uh, but yeah, those are the best. I would love to see Mahomes uh, just just try it out onto the field. This catching a shotgun snap is going to be a little harder. He can figure it out. He's Patrick Mahomes. And maybe like a foam finger, you know, that might have more catchability on it. Yeah. We can think of something. I, I like the I like the inflatable too, though. All right, uh, last one I got for you. So uh, there's this story that came out about people getting surgery to basically become taller, and it involves breaking legs and putting rods and all this stuff. We don't need to worry about that. Next offseason, yeah. giving that surgery to Chris Jones so that he goes from 6'6 to 7 feet tall, and then he's a real menace wow. on the defensive line. Wow. Okay, this is fascinating. I was prepared to have my take on the uh, on the, the procedure itself, I, I, but mm. I have not really considered it from a defensive tackle perspective. Is interesting because it's sort of a leverage game, right? Uh, but he would be able to back down like any pass mm-hmm. ever thrown his general direction. Uh, I um, I want to say, you know what? It's a good idea. It just is. It's just when you have a good idea, sometimes you've got to admit it. Um, I, I am a little bit nervous about the overall recovery process there. I don't know how invasive it is, other than I have to imagine extremely uh, voluntarily breaking your legs seems horrible to me. Uh, but if, if Chris Jones thinks that he won't lose any power um, and that, that he'll be ready for training camp, then I think it's a good idea. If it, uh, if it puts that in jeopardy, 
Maybe maybe we give it to. Uh, I mean, like I. You know, yeah, I guess who would be the best player that. for it? You know. You go with the receiver for jump balls. Shorter quarterbacks. Yeah, and I mean, okay, let's do this. Let's give it to Jody Fortson because Mm. now all of a sudden he's a seven footer, still absolutely making people look foolish out there. He's even more of a touchdown machine. I would, I would support uh, fourth season um, extending even longer by uh, by height. That that's my uh, my nominee. Um, Second place, maybe uh, maybe McCole Hardman, just to see what happens. I like that, too. Uh, I think Blake Bell could be a low-key candidate. He's already injured now. Just get it done now. Um, mm. Imagine a seven-footer QB sneaking. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll fall forward easy first down. That's a good point. No, I do I do like that. Here's, okay, well, what if we just give it to every single player on the team? And all of a sudden, <laughs> now the Chiefs are just the Chiefs are just three inches taller than the rest of the NFL by average. Okay, we figured it out. That is the greatest idea of them all. We need to tell all the guys getting that surgery that, hey, remember, low man wins. <laughs> You don't have to break both of your femurs to get uh, to get three inches taller. It's okay. Just uh, it's about the leverage. He is Josh Briscoe. You can give him a follow at JB Briscoe on Twitter. Josh, appreciate the time as always, man. Always a good time. Enjoy the game tonight. And uh, keep your femurs in one piece if you have the opportunity. Well, was Josh Briscoe, again, co-host of The Zone, Chiefs postgame on 810, Arrowhead Report on SI Now, and Time's Ours on The Athletic. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.